Nuclear. Now is it crick or creek? Coyote or coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong, and sometimes what we get right, when we try to speak this weird English language. I'm a little surprised we have not really tackled Shakespeare yet uh, during this podcast. We've talked about him here and there, usually in the sense of saying even Shakespeare did this and it goes back a lot longer than you think it does. But that's not exactly what we're doing today. You've given me a passage, a very short one, from Richard III. And I looked it up. I didn't know this. It's uh, the character Richmond is speaking at Richmond eventually becomes Henry VII. I don't remember Richard III enough to understand the context of this um, this phrase here. And that's going to cause me a lot of problems because I don't really know what I'm saying. But I'm going to say it. The phrase is this. Abate the edge of traitors that would reduce these bloody days again. Now you tip me off and let me know that we're looking mostly at the word reduce in this sentence. And I get the idea that it doesn't mean what you might think it means, as in to lessen, uh, but I have absolutely no idea what it could possibly mean in this sentence. Maybe I would if I knew really the context of what was going on here, but I don't I don't know at all. And this is something I think that we'll get into is is how much words can change in their meaning over time. Exactly. In this case, reduce means to lead back or to bring back. So what Shakespeare is saying, actually, is this would reduce these, bring back these bloody days again. Simple enough. Yeah, it's a restore, in effect. So he's, he's talking about stopping the traitors who would want to bring back the bloody days that, that had preceded them. Right. And Wow. This is a case of how words do change. And uh, reduce comes originally from the Latin, reducere, which means to literally lead back. Re means back, and then ducere means to lead, to lead back. And then gradually the meaning kind of morphed into bring back to an inferior condition, put into a lower rank by the 1600s. And then from there it became what we know it as is to reduce. To diminish in size or amount. That was from what, about the 18th century, right? I think when that when that when that hit them, and now we don't ever use the the prior meanings, which is the interesting thing, and which is what often happens when a word changes. It as it goes through those changes, by the end you don't even know the beginning, so you don't even think about that. Because if someone used reduce to mean lesson now, forget about. I mean, to bring back, you'd look at them like they were idiots. Well, yeah, it wouldn't make any sense. I mean, it's it's not exactly the opposite of what it means now, but it's not far from that. I mean, to 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 bring back. Uh, is is very different from to to lessen. Mm-hmm. Well, in some cases, certainly in some cases, yes, and that goes to to show one thing. Kathy and I both love etymology. Going well, this word originally was in Latin from this, or this word was originally in Old English from that, and that's all fine and dandy. But the bottom line is that we're here and now, and we love looking at etym- etymology. But the key thing is the definition now is what counts. There is no fixed, basically cognitive linguistics now says words don't have fixed meanings. The meanings are always changing in a flux and they're a peripheral kind of uh, 
outlier meanings that sometimes take control of the word. In this case, reduce kind of got caught with an outlier meaning and then it took over completely. And this is kind of something that we have sort of over time come to, I guess, realize or or to believe. I mean, I'm thinking of back through my philosophy classes and thinking of the philosophy of language and people didn't always recognize that words don't have fixed meanings. The meaning of a word is based on its context. And so if we all agree that the word leg is the thing that sticks out from the bottom of your torso, then that's what a leg is. But if we don't all agree that that's what a leg is, then that's not what a leg is. And people didn't always believe that. People at other times would talk about how it had a fixed meaning. A leg was a leg and there and there was mm-hmm. nothing else it could be. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. That's true. Because in the early, uh, in the, in the 1600s, 1700s, people would talked about a proto-language, which was probably Hebrew, and it was thought to be in, in Europe. And that literally, those names were, were pretty much fixed. Those words that, that named a tree or whatever, and then language branched off from that. Now we tend to think that, that language is so protein and always changing, and there is no pro, there is a proto-language maybe with proto-Indo-European, but there was, there's something before that too. Language is always in a flux. Basically, though, the one thing is, it's the, the thing is interjecting language. I mean, a leg is a leg. I mean, a leg is all, this is going to get philosophical for a second. It's sort of like, on my part, like sort of idiotically philosophical. But I mean, that which sticks out from my body is that which sticks out from my body and that supports me. And it does the same thing for a table. The word leg, obviously, is, is at issue. But the thing itself is always the thing. So the problem comes when you try to like label. I mean, it's the whole, you know, the difference between an ideal thing and what we call that thing. But this is like really off topic. I just got interested by it. But that is interesting. But also in that labeling are are like usually a plethora. I mean, too many meanings around that labeling. And that's how words do change because other little slight affixes or infixes in terms of meaning attached to that word. And then the word change, the definition of that word changes. Exactly. And, And then the quality of being a leg becomes different things. And then the word changes according to that. Because I was just going to say, going back to uh, reduce, I did find one place where reduce is still used in the sense of putting it back, restoring, if you will, and that's in surgery. I mean, in medicine, when you set a broken bone, you cut, you can call it your reducing. Really? I have never heard yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't know that. Like, oh. I'm curious. Wow. You could reduce a hernia by pushing the bowel back through the hole. There's, they, they talk about it in medicine. That's the only place I can find reduce still used in the, in the very old initial sense. That's so interesting, Kathy, because I've heard reduce in surgery, and I naively did the wrong definition. I thought they, like, make the bone smaller when they said it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm isn't not it kidding. strange? I mean, I looked at it. I mean, it's in Oxford still. And, like, they have an example from, like, 2000 here. And, yeah, I mean, I, I would assume it's because in, in medicine, as with, you know, like so many other professions, law, you're still much more attached to the Latin. And I would assume that that's why it would still be used as such. But can you, if you look at your medical chart, you'd be completely confused. <laughs> You mentioned law. I was going to ask if maybe it somehow had that same meaning somewhere in in the legal profession, because we do often and we've often talked about uh, legal terms being having a different sense or even a different definition from what our everyday uh, language says. Often fossilized meanings from earlier times. But because I mean, the one interesting thing about language, and I think that that would reflect what's happening in medicine and in law is that language changes much more rapidly when it's spoken, when it's not written. 
once it's written, it becomes sort of codified. And I would imagine doctors and lawyers, because they learned uh, bowel reduction or bone reduction or whatever. Yeah, it's like resection. Or resection. Yeah, I would never say, you know, I would never use resection in a sentence, but I might use it by a doctor. I did find reduce in law, but they have it usually with two. And if you say reduce to, it's to put a theory, principle, idea into practice or action, which is totally different from either now. <laughs> Lawyers confuse things, as do doctors. Yeah, to bring an estate title property to a person by way of acquisition, to bring something into possession. Oof. I quit. <laughs> I am not a lawyer. It feels like sometimes they just do that so that the rest of us don't understand what they're saying. Yeah, I suspect. Don't say so, anything. So, <laughs> I mean, this... The, with Shakespeare, you know, we still we still put on Shakespeare all the time. Uh, every high school student reads Shakespeare, but this sort of thing makes it very difficult often to understand what he's saying or to get the nuances of what he's saying at the very least. I mean, what do you think about how we treat Shakespeare these days and and, and how we can, I don't know, maybe mitigate that problem? I think we should translate him. And uh, several linguists have called for that. I mean, the problem with Shakespeare is that you have, you know, fosamy or false friends, words that sound like we just had deduce, which we know the meaning of, but we don't know the meaning of it as it was used in Shakespeare. I mean, there are other numerous examples of Shakespearean words that have changed. Um, abridgment, customer isn't necessarily a buyer. Vacancy is free time. I mean, housekeeper is a, a watchdog. I, I mean, all of those, were, they have weird connotations now. And I, I think that's a problem. And I think we should probably either have um, occasional word translations. Like, for example, in this case, I think we should have probably said uh, uh, bring back instead of reduce. I don't but think then it, you have the argument that it would it would reduce <laughs> in our in our, our part of yeah. the, the effect of the words. I mean, that's when you go back. I am not a Shakespeare fan, which is something that I'll get pilloried for. But I, for the exact reason uh, that you're saying, Fletcher, I find too many people go, oh, Shakespeare, and they laugh at his jokes. And I don't think, I would, I would bet that 90% of them don't know what they're laughing at. They're laughing because they're told this is a funny joke. You know, it has the word bodkin in it. Oh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. But which drives it. So I agree with Ross slightly that translating would help a lot. But I would also argue that most purists would say, how, how dare you touch it? So then you could have cliff notes. Like I remember reading Chaucer and we I, I cheated by going to the library and getting an effective translation to Chaucer. So I read the Middle English, I read that, and I knew what they was talking about. Yeah, if you're reading it on the page, you can maybe have annotations or something, but uh, but obviously when it's being performed, which which is a better way to experience Shakespeare, uh, then you're not going to have that same capability. Correct. No, but, but a simple translation, like it doesn't have to be like word for word translating it or, or putting it into modern uh, dialect. I think you change the words that are that are false friends, the words that we don't know the meaning of. I think when Longer, when Shakespeare yeah. talks about a, a housekeeper and it's a watchdog, I think we call it a watchdog. You see, that makes sense because if we can stage Shakespeare like we can stage Hamlet in Nazi Germany, yep. which has been done, why can't we change the word "reduce" to "bring back"? Yeah, I don't see any problem with it. You're I, right, Ross. I agree with Kath too. I mean, I think we're all in agreement there. No, you make you make a good case. I mean, his language can be beautiful but it's not sacred and maybe being able to understand what's being said is more important at some point than than sticking exactly to every single word that he wrote i mean you know he he wasn't a perfect writer either of course 
and changing some of those words that have drastically changed meanings and still keeping the rest of it as much as possible. I think that makes a lot of sense, given given especially what you just said, that we are now almost almost all the time moving him into a a different time period or or a different setting uh, in order to keep things interesting really because it's true the problem is, is i'm just looking we have a list of other words that have changed dramatically um over the course of time and it's true if you don't know what you're what you're hearing if you don't understand that word and you're using the old our sense of the word it, it becomes incomprehensible i mean in the uh, it used to be i'm just looking at one noon Noon, we know as as midday. It used to mean ninth hour of daylight, which back when they were right using it was around 3 p.m. So it was a completely different thing. Yeah, again, we go back to the protean nation of, nature of words. Interestingly enough, what Kathy just said, I'm going to bring up one that we've argued for and against in a couple of uh, less things ago, which was uh, literally being used for figuratively. And one argument is that, in a way, we're seeing the evolution right here and now of a word changing. And we we're, we were arguing for a literal translation of literally. In other words, this is real. A lot of people are arguing that, well, literally now sort of means figuratively, so don't bother about it. So, I mean, there is resistance sometimes, including from people who are, feel themselves relative, li, relatively liberal in terms of word change, for sticking to something here and now, keeping that word definition fixed. That's a really good, you're right, actually, because I'm, I'm always like, think of myself as being fairly broadened, and I, I, I like the fact that language changes. I like the fact that there's a state of flux. And I mean, I would never use like, like awesome now to mean like I am full with awe looking at it. I, mean, I don't use the term anyway, but awful is even better. I think of, that's awful. I don't think like, ooh, wow, I'm filled with awe by looking at it. But figuratively, literally, back in the day, I mean, here I am. You're right at, the, at standing at the change, and I'm I'm fighting against it. I hate me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, on on the literally, there was an interesting thing. I was just looking at the other day, and it was um, there's a, a term I like. It's called um, some uh, linguists use. It's called bleaching, and it's the loss of contentful meaning, and in effect, literally means to the letter. But it got bleached as it's being used, and it's now more of like a marker than anything else. It's like a words that mean in real, like we say, really, he's really good. Really used to mean in reality, he is good. It doesn't mean that anymore. It's gotten bleached. It's lost the real meaning. And it, yeah, it's just an emphasizer. And then the other one that really gets me on that one is pretty. Forgetting Kathy can go on in a minute with what pretty used to mean, but one thing pretty now has gotten in one area has gotten bleached and here's an example my cat is pretty ugly i'm saying you're right that's funny because it's it's almost an oxymoron if you look at it literally as opposed to if you don't know english and you don't know that pretty is also an intensifier or in a in in a way of a, a, a marker you would be really confused but to us who all speak english either as native speakers or very fluent speakers it's obvious it means my cat's fairly ugly. And then fair, I just said fairly. Fair used to mean pretty in many uses. She's a very fair... That's right, a fair face, yeah. But I'm saying fairly ugly here. I'm not saying she's pretty... I mean, I'm saying... I'm not saying she's... My head is starting to explode. <laughs> but interesting how we're, the random nature of change... I can't say she's beautifully ugly. No, you cannot. But my question is with pretty, when you say something... It's, it, okay, when you say something's pretty bad... 
it's not it, what is technically the term for it? it's not an intensifier because it's like it's more of a of a detensifier what's the technical term for that i don't know do you know because i don't offhand yeah i have no idea what the i, I would have said something like a mitigator but i don't really know i mean mitigator I'm, is nice I, I think we should use that even if it's not the case yeah i just just made that up <laughs> yeah it is we'll it give is. you credit flasher it, it pulls it back <laughs> you know you know what this makes me think about is the difference between american and british english with the word quite Mm-hmm. So if you said she's quite pretty, going back to pretty in the in the other context, but like in American English, if you said she's quite pretty, that would mean she she's you know she's very pretty, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you said that in British English, it it's more like she's saying she's pretty pretty. She's she's rather pretty. She's you know somewhat pretty. Yeah, because like when you say you know, people say they're that quite, that yeah yeah. It, it, it's it's it, it's you see all the landmines that we we deal with without being aware of it every day when we speak, which goes back to not to bring it back to literally and figuratively, but I will. It goes back to the idea that it's very important in language is context. And people like Kathy and I, when we, like Kathy and me, when we were arguing um, about literally could be criticized because usually the context is fairly clear. When I say he's literally on fire, I usually presumably usually mean he's doing great or he's really angry. I don't mean that he's burning with his, you know, flames coming out of his hair. So the argument against literally is that we contextually know the meaning. So people who are saying it's confusing are in effect confusing the point because so much of language is is contextual, collocation of words sticking together. We know the meaning of words within context, so we over-worry about semantic change, or we over-worry about the gradual change in meanings of words. We do know, I mean, Kathy mentioned, you know, uh, has mentioned several words that have changed considerably. However, now can I make another counterpoint here? So, notorious means noted, but it's taken a kind of outlier. I mean, it's taken on the taint of being notorious and known in a bad way. Although then you go to the notorious RBG, which was a takeoff on the noto- on Biggie Smalls, the rapper. And in a weird way, it's going back now. You think of it as, as, a, as a positive. That's in a interesting. Way. That's interesting. However, I'm going to throw out a context here. There was a surgeon we saw when we were doing a book who had an ad and they had, it was a surgery and they had our notorious surgeon who, you know, has had this many surgeries. I wouldn't want to go to a notorious surgeon. Even even though I know they use the word in a positive way, there'd be in my head a slightly negative connotation that might actually hurt. Mm-hmm. So in some cases, it does pay to be fairly literal in terms of your translation and not be as liberal in terms of words changing. The thing that got me, though, is a, a bunch of words that, I mean, we have many words started changing back, like in the, a lot changed in the 1800s for some reason. I don't know why that's a thing. But you're, we're seeing now words that are changing more and more recently. Um, we've talked about, obviously, gay. Gay used to be, you know, I, I, there was a book I loved as a kid, um, Cornelia Otis Skinner, talking about how she traveled um, when she was younger, and it was Our Hearts Were Young and Gay, which you would not use. Ejaculation. Um, I was telling Ross how I'm sure that I had um, grammar school teachers that laughed. I used to write stories and the guy would ejaculate, but he was saying something like so-and-so ejaculated because I was reading books from the 1800s. I mean, now you you can't say that. Normalize is the one that's really fascinating me. That's Because that's a word that we've just seen in the last few years changing its meaning slightly and, and quite rapidly. Normalize, it used to just be you return slang to its normal state. Like it's, it's normalizing, everything's getting back to normal. 
um, since Trump's election, it's it's really been that it was used in a word where you're you're referring to how we're changing to accept things that once were considered as outliers as something you don't want to accept. So there's a slightly negative uh, aspect to it. Sort now. of pejorative. I mean, like the normalization of hate is what we're talking about, right? I mean, where the word becomes has a negative connotation. Yeah, we're saying we're saying we're allowing things to become normal that we probably don't want to be normal. Whereas in the old before this, normalization would just be it's returning back to normal, just like straight. It's returning to a normal state. Now we're saying we're expanding to allow something to be accepted as normal. If 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 I'm making the distinction well. Yeah, and that's a change honestly I didn't I hadn't even noticed till you brought it up, but but you're you're right. Yeah, because we talk about the normalization of this attitude or that attitude. Yeah, of course. That's interesting because that's exactly one of the the scientists have tried linguists have tried to classify how to how do words change. And Kathy mentioned one mechanism by which they change is a broadening of meaning. It's taking on other meanings. The opposite also occurs frequently, which is narrowing. The meaning uh, deer used to mean animal in general. Now it means a specific kind of animal. So she's, I mean, it is interesting just how that flux occurs. Do you think changes in meanings happen more rapidly these days or have the capability of happening more rapidly these days because of the Internet? I think so. I think so, definitely. Because there's much more intercourse, to use another word, that, that the meaning has changed or how we immediately think of it. But since there's so much more rapid intercourse, there's much more uh, sharing than there used to be, and we're more exposed to a wider and broader um, uh, spectrum, if you will. I think that it speeds things up. I'm not so sure, though. I wonder, though, if I mean we could compare change that occurred after William the Conqueror conquered England in English. Because that was an enormous influx of people conquering a place, and they don't have as much conquering places as they used to. So there could be, I think probably there's more change now than there was in the 1700s or the 1800s, but I'd bet the 1000s had an enormous change in the English language. Okay, <laughs> you're right. Not to be persnickety, <laughs> and that's a really annoying persnickety point, but I still would bet that. I don't know, though. It's hard to really... It's interesting, though, we were looking at um, the study of language, and now what they're doing, they have the programs, which uh, I love the, the term. It's a program that goes, tries to figure out changes that are occurring now in English. And this uh, guy has a uh, methodology called diachronic colostructional analysis. And he has web crawlers that crawl around the web noticing words changing or unchanging and one of his words that he found recently was fairly recently was d or someone else did i'm sorry detweet and it has now two meanings tweet detweet can mean to give up tweeting and the other could be meaning can be to be kicked out of kicked out of twitter and then yeah, but you, is that really widely used i, I don't know detweet <laughs> nor i i don't know this is what he had just noted and i was thinking though we do have tweet as a word which is also used to mean like a little bird chirping, and now it means quite obviously something very different. Well, like is an interesting word. I mean, speaking of things that are changed, like used to mean I like that. Now you talk about liking something and you mean you clicked and liked it. You know, I didn't get enough likes today. You know that's what I mean? Right. I mean? It's become, that's oddly enough, become like a very potent word that it's not exactly different, but it's being used differently. Definitely. The context is different. Same thing, Google. I mean, for heaven's sakes, Google. I mean, you didn't used to talk about Googling something. No. Yeah. Just to just to go back and be a little weird for a second, um, to go back to the Norman conquest of England, 
I think a case could be made that we that the explosion of the internet around the world is as big a social change as the Norman Conquest was. And, Absolutely. And so that that kind of language change that's happening now is is could be as big as as grafting an entire new language onto a country. I I completely agree. I, I think it must be. I mean, we're getting so many different definitions. I mean, like Kathy just mentioned some of those uh, computer terms, and they're they're leaking out into general usage as well. I mean, we use them in non-computer settings as well. So I agree. Oh, speaking of computers, though, I forgot to mention this uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, there's a computer term, and I will see if you guys can get it, that I think is the only major word related to gubernatorial, which we discussed in a previous podcast. <laughs> okay, let me think. <laughs> okay, let's see if you guys can I'm get totally... It. So it's related to gubernatorial? Uh, yes, that's a computer word. No, nope. Gub- no. Nope. Gubernatorial. What, what could be like gubernatorial? That's computer. I have no idea. Okay, I'm going to give you a clue here. Do, anyone know who Norbert Wiener was? The famous mathematician. Oh, he's a, no. He was a he was a famous mathematician. Yes, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. <laughs> okay, the cybernetics, cyberspace, cyberpunk, cybersecurity, the cyber is all related. To, it comes from the same root uh, gubernatorial does. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was me cyber goober. <laughs> like really getting fascinated. <laughs> no, it comes from the same word steersman or uh, guide governor, Kubernetes. The one interesting oh, thing, can I just throw cool. this? What hit me the most about the cybernetics, though, was how to create new words, we lop off part of an old word and then knock it on. Like cybernetics, Norbert Wiener, uh, Norbert Wiener coined, taking, taking it from kybernetes in Greek, meaning steersman. There's no keyboard word in Greek. It's keyboard now with an N at the end or kybernetes with an N. But we took, but we to create a new word, we take out the uh, n, and we just have cyber, as if cyber means something. It means nothing. In terms of lexically, it meant nothing ever. So it's a crayon. It's a crayon. Uh, it's a crayon thing. Well Again. said. <laughs> a crayon thing. Yeah, it's crayon <laughs> morphing. It's, but but in, it's crayon morphing with a with That's even a an extra morphine. little. But it's extra little dollop because it takes out part of the word. So I thought that was just sort of interesting. interesting. I guess I think when you think about it, helicopter would be the same thing. Hella. Well, because helicopter. That's a prefix. The uh, pter is from the Greek word for uh, wing. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, pterodactyl. So I don't, so I don't understand. Hel- hel- helicopter. Yeah, it's helico. It comes from helix, which is spiral, and then pteron, which is right. uh, wing. But we take the heli out of that. We don't have the helico. We take the heli to have, like, to create new words. Like, we have heliport, but it really should be... Oh, I see what you're saying, because it's, chop, it's a chopper, if you will, of helicopter. Yeah, and, but, and they chopped out <laughs> I see the... what you're saying. So, so when we do helipad or, or whatever, we're, it should be helico... It should, yeah, okay, I get it. Should be heli- helicopad or helicoport. Yeah. Yeah, we chopped off. I mean, that's, it's not incorrect. It's just how interesting how words, like, the helipart took on a meaning that we don't really that doesn't really lexically is not lexically accurate in a way it makes no Correct. difference I, you know yes. it's, it's how you create words is how you want as kathy said the thing exists but the labeling can change as ever you want it i'm just to steer us directly back on my helicopter 
to the point at hand, which was changing words. And we were talking about literally and figuratively. We've talked before about people who get like really like antsy about the use of the word. Um, oh, what's the one? Decimate. And like there's always that person who sort of like comes up and goes, well, that technically means. And I, I found, though, the perfect response to that type of person is, does this person use the word moment? Because moment originally just meant 90 seconds. Exactly. And I suspect that that person would not use moment in that way. They would use it in a broader sense. No, that's interesting. So it's I the same that. argument for that specificity. When people get really upset about not using something specifically, there's so many other words, as we've said, that have already broadened to not mean that specific meaning. You should just relax about it. That's interesting. I never heard of the 90 seconds. I've heard that it meant something so tiny, a, a particle so small, it was just that it couldn't that it was infinitesimal. I didn't know it was actually literally a time period. I have seen that in medieval, they divided the day into 15-minute seg, four 15-minute seg. Each hour in the day was divided into four 15-minute segments, which were points. And then each of those points was divided into 10 shorter segments, which were wow. moments. <laughs> wow, I love those uh, scholastic. So it's precisely 1 40th of an hour a moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's fabulous. I like that. I'm going to start Isn't using cool? it literally from now on. Or should I say figuratively? I don't know. But. <laughs> This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod or email me at powell at KMUW.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts. Those reviews really do help us. The book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press, and you can find that and Kathy and Ross Petrus's most recent book, That Doesn't Mean What You Think It Means, at your local independent bookstore. Kathy and Ross have written a lot more. They've got a number of other things either coming out soon or in the works. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S dot com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks. Oh, and one more thing. Happy New Year! It's 2020 now, a new year. Many people would say a new decade. I'm really not going to wade into that argument, partly because I just don't care, and partly because I want to take a minute to look back at the words of the decade. This is Merriam-Webster's list. There are others, but if you take, say, Oxford's list, a lot of the words on it would require way too much explanation, so we'll go with Merriam-Webster. You may remember the word of the year from 2019 was the singular they. Of course, we did a whole podcast on the singular and non-binary they. It's in our fairly recent archives if you missed it. Looking at the other words, some it's a little hard to remember why they were even chosen in the first place, and some are honestly just kind of depressing. Like back in 2010, the word of the year was austerity. Man, those were some really rough times. A lot of pain for a lot of people, and in some pretty devastating ways, we're still seeing the effects of it 10 years later. 2011's word was pragmatic for some reason. Merriam-Webster says it was just the most looked up word for that year, mostly while Congress was trying to deal with the debt ceiling. Goodness, remember that? 2012, we had two words, socialism and capitalism, because 2012 was an election year. And every election year, we get the economic boogeyman of socialism and capitalism. And it seems like it never ends. Oh, hey, 2020 is an election year, too. That'll be fun. 2013 was science, also depressing, because a lot of that was due to discussions about climate change. 
2014's word was culture. No idea why. 2015, not really even a word. It was the suffix ism, as in, well, socialism and capitalism. Fascism, racism, feminism. Honestly, it seems like a bit of a peek at things to come. 2016, the word was surreal. I know the Cubs won the World Series that year. That was definitely surreal. Can't seem to put my finger on what else might have happened that year that would relate to that word. I know there was something. 2017 was feminism. That makes a lot of sense, given how much the Me Too movement blew up and how many women became heavily involved in politics that year. And then 2018 was justice. Also seems pretty relevant in a lot of different areas. So what'll it be for 2020? Obviously no telling right now, but the chances are better than 50-50, it'll be something kind of ridiculous. I mean, like I said, it's an election year. Gosh, I can hardly wait to find out.